Welcome into the Rebound Rundown. Today is Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. I'm your host, Paul Fritchner, and this is produced by Chatterbox Sports. This is your Daily Digest college basketball show where you can get your info on Cincinnati area college hoops every Monday through Friday in short episodes. This week's AP poll was released yesterday. UConn moved up one spot to number two. Indiana fell to 18th. Kentucky fell to 19th. Marquette broke into the rankings at number 24, and Xavier was third in the receiving votes category behind Maryland and a team they beat, West Virginia. Today, I'm joined by Rick Broering from MusketeerReport.com and the radio analyst from NKU to talk about the Musketeers, and we'll spend some time talking about the Norse, get you caught up on where NKU is in their season. Rick is with me now. Rick, how are you? Let's talk first about the Musketeers, and we'll spend a good portion of this on NKU too. Doing well, Paul. Thanks for having me. Good. Absolutely. Well, like I said, let's start with Xavier. They opened Big East play with a 102 to 89 win over Georgetown on Friday night. Only the second time since joining the Big East that Xavier cracks 100 points in a Big East game. Musketeers look really impressive. Sule Boom named the Big East player of the week yesterday. Uh, just an incredible performance from Sule Boom. And you feel like the Musketeers who have been looking for that rock of a point guard, looking for that stability, they have it. Well, and it's funny because when they decided to bring in Sule Boom through the transfer portal, it was noted that uh, he's really been more of a shooting guard. So it's almost a stretch to even call him a combo guard and put him at that point guard position. But that is what Xavier intends to do with it. And lo and behold, you know, I remember we talked to, I think it was Adam Cohen. It might have been David Miller, but one of the two new assistants, when I had him on a podcast at Musketeer Report, they mentioned, we really think Sule can be a better creator and playmaker for his teammates. He just didn't have those types of guys around him at UTEP. And he, he had to be relied upon to shoot a lot and score a lot. And they couldn't have been more accurate. Like, like I've been so impressed, not just by his ability to take big shots, to knock down threes at a high clip, to score when Xavier really needs him to, but to set up his teammates and make some plays for them. I mean, this Georgetown game was a really good example. He made a couple dynamite passes out of pick roll situations where he has the feel of a guy who's been playing point guard his entire career. Yeah, Sule Boom was incredibly impressive. Jack Nunji had a double-double, and it kind of felt like, Rick, at least to me, it was almost like a quiet double-double. Yeah, it was. I didn't think, you know, if it wasn't one of those games where it felt like Xavier was force-feeding Jack and really going to him early and often, but all of a sudden you look up at the box score in the second half, you go, oh, it's been another pretty good game for Jack Dungey. And kind of, I think most Xavier fans are to the point where you just expect that from Jack now. He's been very consistent over his last two years. I posed the question on Twitter, Rick, Sule Boom is the best Xavier transfer since blank. And I got a lot of responses. Some people saying Jack Nunji, and of course, Nunji has been phenomenal for Xavier over the last year, uh, in the last couple of seasons. But my answer to that one probably would be Jordan Crawford. Is that where you lean? Am I forgetting anybody? What would your answer to that question be? It's tough. And it's especially tough when you start comparing a guy who transferred in and played two or three years with a team versus a guy like Jordan Crawford who played one year or a guy like Sule Boom who's only going to be here for one year. So that's always tough for me is like how do you factor – that differential in like does Matt Stainbrook mean more because he was around for multiple seasons or do, do you rely on one of those guys and I think if you're talking about in terms of talent just overall best player Jordan Crawford is the name that that I would go to definitely as far as Sule goes 
his story isn't done yet. I, I don't think it's fair to like not even get into get one game into conference play and start saying, okay, where does he stack up among these guys? Because what really makes those guys special and what how we define them is what they did at the end of the season in conference play and into the postseason. Sule still has to write those chapters of this story. So I think we'll end up saying he ended up being a very good transfer for Xavier. Yeah, no doubt. And let's spend a, a few quick seconds here talking about the defense, which is something that Sean Miller emphasized. You could tell in the post-game interview on FS1 on Friday night that, Sean, as much as you were excited, right, that you beat Georgetown, you opened the season 1-0, you still allow 89 points to Ahoy's, Ahoya's team that has not won a Big East regular season game since they beat Xavier two seasons ago. Um, how concerning right now is the defense, Rick, and what do you think they can do to figure it out? I love the Sean Miller quote of it's – I think he said something to the effect of when we're scoring a hundred points and I look up and I'm still worried about whether or not we're going to win the game or not, something's wrong. And uh, that, that was, I thought a great quote by Sean to kind of describe where his team's at right now, because they are playing so well offensively. And if you put up a hundred two in a big East game, that's something to feel good about. Yet at the same time, you're giving up all those points to a team like Georgetown who struggled so much. It is frustrating. It has to be, but the thing I've said, Paul, in terms of how much you worry about this if you're a Xavier fan is the the defense was bad against Georgetown the same way it was bad against Gonzaga and Duke and Florida. In other words, like I don't see them being noticeably worse in the, the games against good competition. They, they weren't worse against Indiana or Duke or Florida or any of those teams than they were against Georgetown. So to some extent, it feels like maybe it, it has something to do with the flow of the game and the way these guys are wired and their willingness to trade baskets. It seems like they can ramp it up a little bit and, and play at a higher level when the situation calls for it, the competition calls for it. Now, obviously I realize defense cost them in close losses against Indiana and against Duke and against Gonzaga, but I think this team is going to be good enough to win a lot of close games in Big East play, especially when they're playing at the Cinta Center. Now, how do they get better defensively? I would be making seven figures or at least high six figures if I knew the answer to that one. I think a lot of people are looking for a changeup, maybe playing a zone, doing something differently. I don't think that's probably going to be a cure-all for this team. I think it's the, the likely answer is that they get increment, incrementally better at doing what Sean Miller wants and, and doing what he's asking them to do within the system as the season goes on. And hopefully – you maybe get more production out of a guy like Desmond Claude as the season goes, who is a plus defender. Maybe he can give you more minutes and a little bit of more, a little bit more mobility, length, and defensive prowess on the perimeter, especially in late game situations. For sure. At Xavier, let's turn our attention forward just real quickly. Last Xavier question before we get into NKU. Xavier plays Seton Hall tonight at 8:30 at Cintas, Xavier's first home Big East game of the season. This is a team that Xavier has not beaten at the Cintas Center since Chris Mack was the coach. This Seton Hall team comes in at seven and five on the year. Um, Rick, do you have any thoughts on Seton Hall, or maybe just as it relates to Xavier, what a win like this here against a middling Seton Hall program right now with a new coach? Uh, would do for the Musketeers heading into an eight-day layoff for Christmas? Well, I think a lot of Xavier fans or just people watching the program are still looking for definitive, clear signs, points, what have you, that this team is definitely different from last year's team or the 
team the year before because it feels like they are. It feels like a lot of things are going better. The offense looks so much better, and Sean Miller has clearly changed some things. But at the same time, when you look at the record and you look at those close losses to some of those good teams earlier in the season, you can still see a scenario where you get into Big East play and you have trouble winning on the road, and all of a sudden you're in a very similar spot record-wise to where you've been the last season or two. So I I think that's going to be a, a big part of this as they get into Big East play, and Seton Hall has been one of those teams for them that they have not been able to beat in recent years. So this would kind of be one of those signs, I think, if you beat Seton Hall at home, it is a good sign that you're moving in the right direction and things have changed. Obviously, Seton Hall is a different team than they've been in the last few seasons. And some of those guys that have really given Xavier the most trouble have moved on. The one thing I know about this Seton Hall team and this matchup coming up is Xavier is going to have to stay out of foul trouble. The Seton Hall team does not shoot the ball well from three-point distance. They're not a team that's going to sit from the perimeter and bomb away on you. They are going to test your ability to guard them off of the dribble and do so without fouling. They have four, five, six guys that can really get into your body and and put some pressure on the refs to make a call. So if Xavier gets into foul trouble, we've talked about their lack of depth on that bench this year. It could be trouble. I think that's the big key that I'm going to be watching in this game. All right, Rick, let's turn our attention to Northern Kentucky now. Spend a few minutes on the Norse, who have won five of their last six games. The one loss in there was to Washington State. We've talked a lot about Marquez Warwick this year, but you see a guy like Alon Sumler, some of these guys that maybe haven't seen the court as much uh, here in the last few weeks or so, starting to make a name for themselves. Sam Vincent had a program record, eight steals on Sunday against Miami Hamilton. Um, Rick, let's get a, a State of the Union first on Northern Kentucky before we get into the nitty gritty. Yeah, it's been an interesting non-conference schedule because you have some really great highs. Of course, the home win against UC, a 13-point, really the only easy win NKU has had in the non-conference schedule against a regional rival like that in a high major program. That was exciting. You go to Florida and you lose three games, including a game against UT Arlington that you felt like there's no way you should really lose. And it's just been a challenging schedule for certain for these guys as they've uh, they they made a trip out to Pullman, Washington and played Washington State, played a lot of games in a short amount of time and didn't get a lot of practice in. I think over the last two weeks, as they've been able to settle in and practice a little bit more, and then they played this last buy game against an NAIA team, they were able to figure a few more things out, get some more confidence rolling for, for some of those ancillary players that aren't their main three guys with Faulkner, Vincent, and Warwick. And uh, I think that's been good for them. So... The, the end result of all this is they are 2-0 and in Horizon League play. They played those early two games uh, against Horizon League competition that they kind of jam into the schedule there during your non-conference portion. And one of the teams that they beat, Youngstown State, is a team that a lot of people felt could challenge for a Horizon League championship this year. And a lot of people still feel that way. So you've got a really good conference win already. You're 2-0 and as you head into the real portion of your, your conference schedule. And I think the, the biggest thing is, NKU has not reached their potential for this year's team. They are not playing their best basketball yet. There's still a lot of upside, and yet they've found a way to beat UC. They found a way to get off to a 2-0 start in conference play. So I think there's nowhere to go but up for this group. What's it going to take, Rick, to reach that ceiling? Well, I think the biggest thing is going to be getting better offensive play out of some of their top guys. You can talk about depth and bench play all you want, But right now, they're relying way too heavily on Marquez Warwick to carry them every single night. 
And that doesn't mean on both ends of the floor. Obviously, you've got a guy like Sam Benson who's getting eight steals or he had 10 rebounds the game before in a win over Eastern Kentucky. So Sam Vincent is doing some things. Trayvon Faulkner is doing some things to help you win. But from an offensive standpoint, they're just not getting enough shooting or enough firepower. And I think the answer to that is you get a guy like Sam Vincent, who was key for you down the stretch last year during conference play, just to get back up to speed. I think maybe you got a weird thing there where last year it was his freshman year. There were no expectations. So he's just playing and things are going well. And all of a sudden this year he comes in and people are saying he's going to be an all-conference player and there are these expectations placed on him. I think maybe he's put a little bit too much pressure on himself. His his shots just haven't fallen and it seems like he's forced some things at times. Over the last few games, I've seen the ball moving better. He's been seeing the floor better. So I think that spells good things for NKU's future the rest of this season. But to me, that's the big thing is getting some of those perimeter guys scoring better to go along with Marquez Warwick. Xavier Rhodes has been a godsend, the Division II point guard transfer. He's played really well and, and helped carry them at times when Warwick wasn't able to get going. And then the other part of this that I think is interesting to watch is you started to see Emmanuel Zorgval, the backup seven-footer, come along over the course of the last few weeks and really start to produce. He's he's dunking balls back in when he gets an offensive rebound. He's catching lobs around the basket. If they can get him going, there aren't a lot of guys in the Horizon League that have a, a seven-foot-plus wingspan and have a, a high vertical like he does. He is a special kind of athlete and body type in that conference, and I think he really could be pretty productive. What concerns you the most about NKU so far this season? Well, it would be the the lack of offensive fire, firepower on the perimeter, like I just talked about. But the other big thing would be their inability to stop opposing teams from making three-point shots. They're just giving up way too many good looks from three-point distance, and other teams are making them at an extraordinary, extraordinary clip. NKU's like bottom two or three in the country. At least that's where they've been for most yeah. of the season. 362nd out of 363 teams. Yeah, exactly. So that's something that they've got to fix, especially in today's game where almost every team you play wants to shoot the three and has multiple guys who are going to shoot the three. They've got to figure that out. And when you dig uh, dig into the stats a little bit deeper, Paul, you'll notice that when they score a basket or they get the chance to set their defense, they're pretty darn good. They hold opponents to a very reasonable shooting percentage. But it's off of those live ball situations where they miss a basket and the other team's coming back, maybe in transition a little bit, where it doesn't seem like they're able to get into position, find their man and match up to shooters. So that's something for them to work on going forward. So they turn their attention now, NKU does, to Florida Atlantic. You'll be down there tomorrow night, and that's a uh, 7 o'clock tip-off down, uh, like I said, down in Boca Raton. Florida Atlantic having a great season this year and didn't get any votes this week in the top 25 poll. They only have one major conference win over Florida. That was 76 to 74 back on November 14th. That was their third game of the year. But Florida Atlantic's 10 and 1. They're 42 on Ken Palm overall. Uh, it's a good team and a good challenge, Rick, for NKU. Well, if you go off of Ken Palm or any other metric really that we have right now, they're the best team that NKU has faced. They're like 30 spots better than Cincinnati. They're 20-something spots better than Washington State. So they've got a really nice marquee win over Florida, a regional rival for them, obviously, in their home state. And they've had some other pretty solid wins in there as well if you look through their schedule. So this is going to be a big-time challenge for NKU. The two things to know about this Florida Atlantic team is 
They are going to shoot the three a lot. And at a high clip, they've got six or seven guys that can really knock it down. And then they are going to try to take away any three-point opportunities when you're on offense. They defend the three really well, too. They extend out on the perimeter. They're not a big team, but they have a lot of good guards and wings that can play on both ends of the floor. So they're definitely one of the new analytical style teams that are obsessed with making a lot of threes and taking away your opportunity to do the same. Rick, is there anything else before uh, I move on here in the show? Is there anything else that we didn't mention about NKU that comes to your mind that anybody listening who hasn't followed the Norse as closely this year should know about this team? You brought him up a little bit, but I think there's a couple of freshmen here that are interesting to me. LJ Wells and Alon Sumler. LJ Wells had the breakout game against Toledo when they were in Florida, where he scored 20 points and grabbed a bunch of rebounds. I think it was seven or eight rebounds in that game as well. Since then, he's been very quiet. He's even been taken out of the lineup and, and not played for entire games. So he's big, he's athletic, and he's skilled. Can they get him going a little bit? Because he could make a big difference. And then Alon Sumler, he had such a big game against Eastern Kentucky where he came off the bench and hit four threes. He showed some signs against Miami Hamilton on Sunday as well. So I think they might have found something from him. He might be able to give them a little bit of a spark off the bench going forward. Rick, as always, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Paul. Xavier plays Seton Hall tonight at 8.30 on FS1. Musketeers, like I mentioned with Rick, have not beaten the Pirates at home in the last four seasons since Chris Mack was the coach. Seton Hall is 7-5 and five this year with notable wins over Memphis and Rutgers. They also have a 91-65 loss to Kansas and open Biggie's play on Saturday with a close four-point loss to Providence uh, at the Prudential Center. Dayton plays their final non-conference game of the season tonight at 7 at UD Arena. The Braves are 3-8 and eight and have lost their last five games. They're not good on offense or defense, and they lost to Tennessee on December 4th. We talk about a way for Dayton to rectify some of those problems that they've been facing. That's Alcorn State, I should mention, that they will be playing tonight. Like I said, the Braves 3-8 and eight in their last um, – uh, three and eight on the season and have lost their last five but get a, these stats about Dayton as it stands right now the Flyers do not have a win better than quad four on the season and the Atlantic 10 as a conference is just one in 19 against quad one teams and five and 10 against quad two overall so just not a good year for the A-10 and the non-conference action Louisville also plays tonight in their last game before conference action starts. Lipscomb makes the trip to the Yum Center for a 6 p.m. tip-off. This is not the Cardinals' last non-conference game of the year, though, because there's that game against Kentucky looming on New Year's Eve. Some good games around the country tonight. Virginia travels to Miami to take on the Hurricanes at 8.30 on the ACC Network. Oklahoma plays Florida in a neutral site game in Charlotte, North Carolina. And in the Big East, Marquette visits Providence as the Golden Eagles look to keep their hot streak rolling. That'll do it for today's Rebound Rundown. Enjoy your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.